Well, um, you may wonder why it's Palm Sunday and we're looking at the cross. Of course, Palm Sunday is the time when Jesus came into Jerusalem and our great cheers of celebration, hosannas and hallelujahs, people wave palm branches around. They put um, coats down at his feet and um, everyone cheered and celebrated and welcomed him into Jerusalem. It was a day of great hope, a day of great celebration. But what were the crowds hoping for? What were they looking for? It may well be that at that time when Romans were occupying, um, that what they were looking for was a Messiah who would lead them to freedom, lead them to independence, lead them to break away from that great European power. No hints linked anywhere. <laughs> was that their hope? Was that what they were cheering for? Well, if that was what they were cheering for when it came to the Friday when Jesus had been put on trial and was being pinned to the cross, then those hopes were being dashed completely. At the beginning of our reading, um, we're told that the women um, were going along with Jesus as being taken to the cross are mourning and wailing for him. And at the end of the passage, in verse 48, it says, when all the people had gathered to witness this, saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. If they were looking for a great military leader, someone who would kick out the Romans, someone who would give them liberation, if they are hoping to have their own nation again, then in Jesus' death, those hopes were being crushed. Was this the end? Well, as they come with Jesus to the cross, with those women weeping, Jesus says, this is the wrong grief. This is the wrong grief. Look what he says in verse 28. He says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. What does he mean by that? What is he saying is going on? And when he says at the end, um, for if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? What is he talking about there? Well, in one sense, this was real politics. This was the situation they found themselves in. Because actually, their rebellion against Rome would only lead to Rome's judgments. At that time, um, Jesus wasn't really a threat to the Roman Empire, was he? He was like a green branch. If you've ever tried burning green branches, they're much harder to burn. But dry branches burn much more easily. And in the 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, nationalism in Israel grew and grew and grew. People became more and more desperate to break away from the power of Rome. And finally, in the late 60s AD, they rose up against the Romans and they were completely and utterly crushed by the Romans. You can go to Rome now and see um, an arch that's built there to celebrate the victory of the Romans over the Jewish uprising. You can go to Jerusalem and all that remains of the temple is the Wailing Wall. Because in 70 AD, the temple was burnt down and destroyed by the Romans. 
Jesus was saying, look, if this is what you want, if you want to break, try and break free from the Romans, if all you're looking for is political freedom, then it is going to end in disaster. Don't cry for me. Cry for where Jerusalem's heading. But of course, Jesus sees things not just on the political level, but he sees things from the spiritual level. And in verse 30, he quotes from Hosea. And he says, They will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. The passage in Hosea is talking about Israel, who had turned away from God and turned after idols and were worshipping idols. And God was saying to them through the prophet Hosea, you will be judged for that. I will bring enemies against you and they will destroy you and take you away from the land. And the Assyrians came and they took away Israel from the northern part of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, look, the same thing is going to happen to you because of your idolatry. And the Jews might have responded by saying, well, we're not idolatrous. We don't build statues of foreign gods. We don't worship Jupiter or um, anything like that. But Jesus says, throughout Luke, are you more worried about money than God? Are you more worried about being religious and being successful in a religious sense and your religious honour than God? Are you more worried about being proper and right than showing compassion that God shows? Where is your faith really? And you see, Jesus is saying, look what you're doing to me. Look what your rulers are doing to me, the Son of God. They're crucifying me. How does God feel about that? And again and again in Luke's Gospel, Jesus warns about the judgment of God because Israel failed to repent. They failed to truly turn to God and put their faith and trust in him. And Jesus says, you've got the wrong grief. You shouldn't be worried about me. You shouldn't be crying about me. You should be crying for your own sins. You see, the oppression of Rome is there because of humanity's sin. Where one person or one nation oppresses another. Um, the reason they're poor amongst you is because of the greed of some of you. who put money as more important than God's. You fail to show compassion to those that are coming for repentance because you're more worried about your religious pride. You need to mourn your sin because it's your sin that's cutting you off from God and it's your sin that is leading to the judgment of God, a judgment that is an eternal judgment. That is what you should be mourning. That is what you should be worried about. And you see that what the people of Jerusalem failed to grasp, the thief on the cross did grasp. As he said to his mate, the other side of Jesus, who had just uh, mocked Jesus, he said, Don't you fear God? Don't you fear God? You are dying because you deserve to die. You are dying because of your wickedness, your criminality. Jesus is dying as an innocent man, yet you mock him. We're under judgments. We should fear God's judgment more than the judgment of the Romans. And so the man on the cross realises what is really wrong. He mourns his own sin. He mourns what has put him on the cross. 
And he turns to God, to Jesus, and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the wonderful and amazing things that Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus says, mourn your sin, mourn the things that bring God's judgments. But he also shows himself to be God's way of salvation. And the second person I want to talk about this morning is not just the women, but the centurion. And you see, the centurion has the right praise, doesn't he? In verse um, 47, it says, The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. What had made this Roman, this enemy of the Jews, who had been sent to crucify Jesus as the king of the Jews, what had made him see something special about Jesus? Well, if we go back over the story, we can pick up one of the three things that might have been the cause of him to come to this conclusion. Firstly, he heard Jesus say these words as he was crucified. Jesus says in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I don't know about you, but when someone hurts you, my initial response isn't to say forgive them. My initial response is to lash out. Isn't that true? Um, when someone hurts you badly, it is really difficult to forgive them. Christianity tells us that we should forgive people. It doesn't say it's easy. Forgiveness is really hard. And here is Jesus being unjustly crucified, unjustly killed in the most horrendous and horrific way possible. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. Do you think the centurion had ever heard anyone say that before? He probably heard all sorts of things said as people bang nails into arms. I'm sure most of them wouldn't want to hear in church. He would no doubt have been cursed by people or watch people just depressingly pass away. But to hear someone actually actively and loudly pray, Father, forgive them, that's a powerful point. Who on earth would do that? And then, of course, um, normally people would die on the cross and it would be people dying on the cross in a very normal circumstances. Life would go on around them. And yet here, life doesn't go on as normal because suddenly as it gets to midday, as the sun is shining at its brightest, what happens? The sky goes dark. The sun stops shining. We're not told exactly what happened or how it happened, but suddenly this was some sort of symbolic sign that God was acting. God was showing that this was an important and a powerful moment. This moment of darkness comes on the land and the centurion would have seen that. Maybe he'd heard about the curtain tearing in the temple at the same time as well. We don't know. But this was a dramatic moment, and God was showing it was a dramatic moment by putting dramatic signs in the, in, the, in the sky. And then he would have heard Jesus' last words, where he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. If Jesus was guilty, if Jesus knew he was a fraud, then he wouldn't be calling out to God at the last moment with such confidence, with such intimacy, with such power. 
When the centurion looked at Jesus, when he saw what he said, when he saw what was happening in the skies and the world around him, he realized that this was something different happening. And he says, surely this was a righteous man. Now, if you know the other Gospels, if you've read the other Gospels, if you've read Matthew and Mark, you'll know that actually the centurion doesn't say he was a righteous man. He says he was a son of God. You aware of that? You may have seen the film with John Wayne saying, surely he was a son of God. So that's a terrible American accent. <laughs> but he did play a centurion in one of the films with the cross features. Um, and you'll think, well, has Luke got it wrong? Has Matthew and Mark got it wrong? What's going on here? What, how, can we, how can we link the two? Well, when you think about it, it they're not too different, really. Because if he's saying, he's saying that Jesus is a righteous man, he's saying that basically he's innocent. He doesn't deserve to be on the cross. Uh, but why was he on the cross? But if we go back to um, earlier on in Luke's Gospel, to the trial, um, in Luke 22, um, verses 17, um, Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin, before the Jewish council, and they say to him, Are you the Son of God? And he replies, You say that I am. And the was yes. And then they reply, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. In other words, the reason they'd asked for him to be crucified, the reason they'd asked for him to be killed, was because he claimed to be the Son of God. And if he wasn't the Son of God, that was blasphemy and under Jewish law, he deserved to die. But if he was innocent, then his claim isn't wrong. If he's innocent, then he is the Son of God. So for the centurion to say that Jesus is a righteous man is as good as saying he is the Son of God. He is who he claims to be. And if he is who he claims to be, then here is someone special indeed. You see, the high priests, um, the soldiers looked on and they mocked Jesus. They said, this cross proves that you are not who you claim to be. The fact that you're dying on the cross proves you're nothing. You're going the same way as all the other pretenders to be the Messiah. But the centurion looks at the cross. He sees Jesus' words, or he hears Jesus' words. He sees what happens. And he says, no, this is a righteous man. This is the Son of God. And that's what the thief on the cross saw as well. When he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What have we learned this morning? Well, there's a lot to say about the cross. There's a lot we could say. But two key lessons I want to just remind us of. Firstly, do we realise that we should mourn our own sin? Do we realise that our sin is the biggest problem in the world? Our biggest problem is not the Romans. It's not the EU. It's not the Conservative Party or the Labour Party. It's not your lack of money. It's not your poor health. Our biggest problem is our sin. And none of those other things will help deal with our sin. But Jesus does. Not only does he deal with our sin, he deals with our death. Because Jesus is God's king. All we need to do is trust in Christ and he will take us into his kingdom. An eternal kingdom. That we, from after death, might come into paradise. There's a book um, which is available in the back welcome desk at the back. There's quite a lot of copies I've splashed out. So do take one. They're free to take. And what I hope you do, um, 
is, if you're not a Christian yet, and take one and read it. If you are a Christian, take one and read it. It only takes about an hour and a half if you're a slow reader. Um, take one and read it if you're a Christian, and then give it to someone else who's not a Christian. Does that make sense? Um, it's a great little book. It's actually, it's written as though it's the thief on the cross talking from heaven. Okay? And he's describing what happened on the, that, that day of the cross. And it's quite powerful the way it's put. It puts in a lot of Christian teaching in the process. And really quite a good little book. So why not take one of those books, read it for yourself, give it to someone else. Um, there's plenty on the welcome desk, so do take one after the service. That's a plug on that. Let's finish with a prayer.